Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I thought I'd begin this morning with a reading from a very well-known and esteemed theologian, Dr. Seuss. Book Horton Hatches the Egg. Side Maisie, a lazy bird hatching an egg. I'm tired and I'm bored and I'm kinks in my leg. From sitting, just sitting here day after day, it's work. How I hate it. I'd much rather play. I'd take a vacation, fly off for a rest. If I could find someone to stay on my nest. If I could find someone, I'd fly away free. Then Horton, the elephant, passed by her tree. Hello, called the lazy bird, smiling her best. You've nothing to do and I do need a rest. Would you like to sit on the egg in my nest? The elephant laughed, why of all silly things, I haven't feathers and I haven't wings. Me on your egg, why that doesn't make sense, your egg is so small man and I'm so immense. I can't, said the elephant, please beg the bird. I won't be gone long, sir, I give you my word, I'll hurry right back, why I'll never be missed. Very well, said the elephant, since you insist. You want a vacation, go fly off and take it. I'll sit on your egg and I'll try not to break it. I'll stay and be faithful, I mean what I say. Toodaloo, sang out Maisie and fluttered away. Then carefully, tenderly, gently he crept up the trunk to the nest where the little egg slept. Then Horton the elephant smiled, now that's that. And he sat, and he sat, and he sat, and he sat. And he sat all that day and he kept the egg warm and he sat all that night through a terrible storm. It poured and it lightened, it thundered, it rumbled. It isn't much fun, the poor elephant grumbled. I wish she'd come back because I'm cold and I'm wet. I hope that that Maisie bird doesn't forget. Maisie by this time was far beyond reach, enjoying the sunshine way off in Palm Beach. And having such fun, such a wonderful rest, decided she'd never go back to that nest. So Horton kept sitting there day after day, and soon it was autumn, the leaves blew away, and then came the winter, the snow and the sleet, and icicles hung from his trunk and his feet. But Horton kept sitting and said with a sneeze, I'll stay on this egg and I won't let it freeze. I meant what I said and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. So poor Horton sat there the whole winter through. Then came the springtime with troubles anew. His friends gathered round and they shouted with glee, Look, Horton the elephant's up in a tree. They taunted and teased him and yelled, How absurd. Oh, Horton the elephant thinks he's a bird. They laughed and they laughed and they all ran away and Horton was lonely. He wanted to play. But he sat on the egg and continued to say, I meant what I said and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. No matter what happens, this egg must be tended. But poor Horton's troubles were far, far from ended. For while Horton sat there, so faithful, so kind, three hunters came sneaking up softly behind. He heard the men's footsteps. He turned with a start. Three rifles were aiming right straight at his heart. Did he run? He did not. Horton stayed on that egg. He held his head high and he threw out his chest and he looked at the hunters as if to say, shoot if you must, but I won't run away. I meant what I said and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. But the men didn't shoot. Much to Horton's surprise, they dropped their three guns and they stared with wide eyes. Look, they all shouted, can such a thing be? An elephant sitting on top of a tree. Let's take him alive. Why, he's terribly funny. We'll sell him back home to a circus for money. And the first thing he knew, they had built a big wagon with ropes on the front for the pullers to drag on. They dug up his tree and they put it inside with Horton so sad that he practically cried. 
We're off, the men shouted, and off they all went, with Horton unhappy 100%. Then out of the wagon and onto a ship and out over the ocean, and oh, what a trip, rolling and tossing and splashed with their spray. And Horton said, day after day after day, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. But oh, am I seasick 100%. (laughs) After bobbing around for two weeks like a cork, they landed at last in the town of New York. All ashore, the men shouted, and down with the lurch went Horton the elephant, still on his perch, tied to a board that could just scarcely hold him. Bump, Horton landed. Then the men sold him. Sold to a circus, then week after week, they showed him to people for 10 cents a peak. They took him to Boston, to Kalamazoo, Chicago, Weehawken, and Washington, too. And everywhere, thousands of folks longed to see. They laughed at the elephant up in a tree. Poor Horton grew sadder the farther he went. But as he, they said as he sat in that hot, noisy tent, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful, 100%. Then one day, the circus show happened to reach a town way down south, not too far from Palm Beach. And dawdling a long way up high in the sky, who of all people should chance to fly by? But that good old old good-for-nothing bird runaway Maisie, still on vacation, still just as lazy. And she swooped from the clouds through an open tent door. Good gracious, grasped Maisie. I'd seen you before. Poor Horton looked up with his face white as chalk. He started to speak, but before he could talk, there rang out such noises, ear-splitting squeaks, from the egg that he'd been sitting on 52 weeks. A thumping, a bumping, a wild, alive scratching. My egg, shouted Horton. My egg. Why, it's hatching. But it's mine, screamed the bird. When she heard the egg crack, the work was all done. Now she wanted it back. It's my egg, she sputtered. You stole it from me. Get out of my nest. Get out of my tree. Poor Horton backed down with a sad, heavy heart. At that very instant, the egg burst apart. And out of the pieces of red and white shell from the egg that he'd sat on so long and so well... Horton the elephant saw something whiz. It had ears and a tail and a trunk just like his. And the people were shouting, what's all this about? And they looked and they stared with their eyes popping out and they cheered and they cheered and they cheered more and more. They'd never seen anything like this before. My goodness, my gracious, they shouted. My word, it's something brand new. It's an elephant bird. And it should be. It should be. It should be like that. Because Horton was faithful. He sat. And he sat. He meant what he said. He said what he meant. And they sent him home happy 100%. So this morning we're going to take another look at one more of the aspects of what the Apostle Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. Anybody want to take a wild guess at which one we're going to look at this morning? Yeah, joy. No, faithfulness. We're going to talk about faithfulness, and it's an important quality that is very much in decline these days because we live in a disposable society. We have disposable plates, disposable forks, disposable knives and spoons, disposable razors, disposable diapers, disposable cameras. Everything is throwaway these days, and that even carries through and sometimes even into our relationships. If a relationship tends to be too much work or too much effort or too much bother or it doesn't give us the pleasure that it once did, we just kind of throw it away. Marriages have become disposable. But I believe if we make the effort, take the risk, that we will discover deeper, more fulfilling, richer lives by cultivating faithfulness. Because the truth of the matter is, is there's great, great value in faithfulness. So how do you cultivate faithfulness? 
We're going to look at a few ways you can do that this morning. Because the character of faithfulness is something that God grows. He does the work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But there are things that we can do to help cultivate what God is doing in our lives. Practices and, 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 and um, activities and behaviors that we can make our own. And through that, God does His work of cultivating faithfulness in our lives. So, how do you cultivate a character of faithfulness? Well, character of faithfulness, first of all, grows as I simply learn to fulfill the promises that I make. There's a great deal we learn about faithfulness by learning to make, keep and make promises. Because our model is God Himself. We look throughout Scripture over and over again. We find words like, like the David wrote in Psalm 145. The Lord is faithful to all His promises and loving toward all that He has made. The faithfulness is a quality and characteristic of God Himself. He is our model and He is a promise-making God. All throughout Scripture, God makes promises. They're called covenants. And covenants are promises that God has made that He will not break. He makes promises and He binds Himself by those promises to His people. And throughout Scripture, you find the story of God throughout the Bible is about a God who makes promises and keeps promises. He makes a promise to to Noah. He makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes a covenant with the whole nation of Israel through Moses and gives them the law. He makes a covenant with King David. And then through the prophets, Jeremiah, he starts talking about a new covenant that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ where God does everything possible that God can do that needs to be done to keep a promise. That's our God. He's a promise-making God. And it's not because we deserve His promises. It's not because there's something innately good about us that deserves a promise. He does it because He's a loving God. Listen to the promises. Deuteronomy 7. It says, The Lord did not set... The Lord did not set His affection on you or choose you because you were more numerous than other people's but it was because the Lord loved you. Now, therefore, know that the Lord, your God, is God. He is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love. When you make and keep promises, that's an expression of love. That's really what it is. Because by our promises, we bind ourselves to other people. That's what God has done. He makes promises. He made covenant to bind himself. The problem with that is the culture and society that we live in worships individuality. It worships personal freedom. Why would I want to bind myself to somebody else? It's much easier to keep my options open. If I don't make promises, I don't have to keep them. A number of years ago now, in the early 90s, former coach of um, Colorado State University football coach who had devoted his life to having a winning team and to, to work with his team, realized that he had neglected his wife and his family. And he started a movement called Promise Keepers because he wasn't the only man that had ever done this. <laughs> and so he started a movement trying to address this problem of men not making and keeping their promises. And a lot of men have joined that movement. A lot of men have gone to Promise Keepers events and, and, and taken part in all of this stuff. And a lot of wives are saying, well, now at least I got a promise maker. <laughs> Still not so good on the keeping, but I got a promise maker. Now at least we're getting there, you know. Making and keeping our promises. 
It's so vital. Because when we make promises that we don't keep, we hurt other people. We harm other people. Gary Smalley writes in his book, The Hidden Value of a Man, writes of a story of a man that he has counseled, a 40-year-old man in counseling with him. And he told him about a situation that happened way back when he was 12 years old. He wrote, when I was 12, when I was just 12, my Boy Scout troop planned a father-son camp out. I was thrilled. I could hardly wait to rush home and give my father all the information. I wanted to show him all the things that I had learned in scouting. And I was so proud when he said he'd go with me. Well, the Friday of the camp out came and I had all my gear on the porch and the stuff ready to put in the car the moment he arrived. We were to meet at the local school at 5 p.m. and carpool to the campground. But my dad didn't get home until 7 p.m. I was frantic. But he explained how things had gone wrong at work and told me not to worry. We could still catch up. We'll get up first thing in the morning and join the others. After all, we had the map. Well, I was disappointed, of course, but I decided to make the best of it. First thing in the morning, I was up and had everything in his car while it was just getting light, all ready for us to catch up with my friends and their fathers at the campground. He said we'd leave by around 7 a.m., and it was already a half hour. I was ready a half hour before that but he never got out of bed until 9.30. And when he saw me standing out front with the camping gear, he finally explained that he had a bad back and couldn't sleep on the ground. He hoped I would understand and I would have to be a big boy about it. But could I please get my things out of the car because he had several commitments that he had to keep. Just about the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, he said, was to go to the car and take out my sleeping bag, cooking stove, pup tent, and supplies. And when I was putting my stuff away and he thought I was out of sight, I watched my dad walk out of the garage, sling his golf clubs over his shoulder, throw them into the trunk, and drive away to keep his commitment. We make promises and don't keep them. We do huge damage to people. So what we tend to do is, well, then not make a promise. And we do it under the guise of saying, well, I don't want to hurt other people. I want to protect other people. But in truth, all we're doing is trying to protect ourselves. If I don't make a commitment, nobody can hold me responsible. If I don't make a promise, nobody can expect anything out of me. So we think the answer is, well, then just don't make a promise. The problem with that is, is that we think we're doing better by that, and we're not. Because making and keeping promises are an act of love. And when we make and keep promises, what we do is we build relationships and we deepen love. We become people of our word. The kind of people that Jesus told us to be. He told his followers, do not promise by heaven. Do not promise by earth. Do not promise by your head. You are not able to make one hair white or black. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. That ought to be the quality of character of those who are of my followers. We are people of our word. When we say yes, we mean yes. When we say no, we mean no. When we make promises, we keep them. That's the quality of character that he wants in us. That every Christian ought to be able to say, in a paraphrase of Horton, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. Because a Christian is faithful 100%. Making and keeping promises 
begins to reveal God's nature in us. Peter wrote in his second letter, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in His divine nature. And I learn faithfulness as I learn to fulfill my promises. Instead of not making promises, make your promises wise and thoughtful and then keep them. Secondly, a character of faithfulness grows as I follow through on my commitments. Now, commitments are very closely related to promises, but commitments more carry with them the idea of long term. I can make a promise for one event or one thing and keep that promise. But, but commitment means a long haul type of thing. I'm in it for the long haul. It's what Jesus described when he talked about seed that had been planted in good soil. Jesus told a story about a man who had scattered seed. And some fell on the hard path and, and the birds of the air came and swept it up and ate it and it was gone. And some fell in rocky soil where it began to take root and sprung up quickly, but because it didn't have deep roots, it all just kind of faded away and died. And then some that grew up, but it was choked out by the weeds and the thorns all around it. And his followers asked him, well, explain this story to us. What does it mean? Jesus said that those along the path are those who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they do not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But he says, the seed on the good soil stands for those with an honest and good heart. They hear the message. They put it deep in their heart. And they remain faithful and produce a good crop. See, through this whole series, we've been taking a more focused look at each of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And the great danger in all of that is that we would think, well, okay, this is like fruit of the week club, you know? This week I work on joy. Next week I work on patience. Next week I work... You know, and, and the thing of it is, is that faithfulness is the kind of... The, it's the unifying of all of this fruit. Because faithfulness says, this is not something you work on for a day or a week. This is a lifelong journey. It is a lifelong of cultivating character in our lives. And there's a great danger in thinking, well, I'll just work on joy for a week. And I'll just work on patience for a week. Working on it through all my life, that takes effort. I don't always want to be patient. I don't always want to be joyful. There are times I just want to be a grump. Faithfulness says, no, this is lifelong stuff. This last week, Friday night, we went out for my wife's birthday. Took her to a really nice dinner uh, in Danville. Beautiful restaurant, had a wonderful dinner, had a great time. And we were coming back over the bridge and there was still just a little bit of the tail end of the Friday commute traffic, you know, heading out of town traffic. And we got on the bridge and the traffic kind of slowed down, but not to worry, we had fast track, you know. So we got our fast track and it's sitting out on the dashboard and, and I'm coming and we're coming up to the fast track lanes and there are people who do not have fast track in the fast track lane. Drives me crazy. They don't belong in that lane, but they stay there till last minute because there's no traffic in that lane and then they cut over to the other lanes, right? So I'm getting a little perturbed at this, but then the kicker was there's a guy who was in the left side of the fast track lane and decides he wants to be in the right side lane of the fast track lane and he cuts just before the toll booth across my lane. 
What do you think I did? You got that right. I laid on my horn and I'm just blaring my horn at him. And, and, you know, and he's just, you know, he gets over into the other lane and I get around him and I go through and Betty looks at me and she says, you know, we're not in a hurry. And I came back with, yeah, but he did that right in front of the booth. He doesn't even belong in that lane. And besides that, there was somebody behind me. I had to slam on my brakes. What if somebody came up and reared? I had all kinds of really good reasons. And she just looked at me. She got this little smirk on her face like we both know. I hate it when she does that. (laughs) There are times I just don't want to be patient. I want people to get out of my way. I don't particularly want to be kind all the time. I want to be a little selfish. Let somebody else be kind to me. Let them practice. (laughs) This is a lifelong journey, folks. This isn't something you just do for a day or a week. It's lifelong. And it means paying careful attention to these things. Much easier to avoid commitments in the same way that we would avoid making promises. Because then nobody holds us accountable. We don't have to have anybody pin us down. Nobody relies on me. I remember when I was working for my dad as a foreman. I worked for him as a foreman for a while. He was a building contractor, general contractor. And and I worked a couple of years for him just as his foreman. And one of the most frustrating things in the world was dealing with subcontractors. Because when you're setting up a job and you got kind of a critical path on, it all has to be done in order. And the sheetrock guys can't come in until the electrical and the plumbing has all been roughed in and inspected. And, and then the, and then the um, insulation crew, they have to come in and they have to do their thing. And so you got to kind of keep the job moving and you're dependent on subcontractors showing up on the day that they said they would show up. You know, and so, you know, the plumber would say, yeah, I'll be there Tuesday. He just never says, what Tuesday? You know, so you're waiting for him. You expect him to be there because you got the sheetrockers coming at the end of the week. So he's got to be there on Tuesday. And he doesn't show up. And you give him a call. And he says, well, you know what? I had another job. And I had to finish that up before I could start yours. So I'm sorry. But, you know, I'll be there tomorrow. And it pushes the whole job back. And you're dealing with all these subcontractors. And every one of them's got an excuse. And they don't show up. And they make promises. And they make commitments. And they don't show up. And it throws the whole job off. And now you've got to reschedule everybody else. And now, well, he's got another job. He can't make it to yours because he had already promised this other person he was going to and it drives me crazy. I remember I heard a guy, he said, he was thinking about getting his contractor's license. He was going to name his business, We Show Up. He figured, I am bound to get work if I just put on the side of my truck, We Show Up. <laughs> Making commitments and then following through is how we cultivate faithfulness in our lives. And the thing about it is, when we make commitments and we follow through, we actually benefit by that. One of the things that's happened very much in the last, it's increased probably in the last 10, 20 years, is people choosing to live together instead of getting married or living together before they get married. And they've actually been, Rutgers University has actually been um, tracking this and, and tracking a study of this for about the last 10, 15 years and, and interviewing people and going through this whole, and, and kind of seeing what's happening as this people, as people are doing this, you know, what's the long-term effect on our culture, on our society? And, and, and here's some of the things they found. Although 60% of graduating high school seniors agreed with the idea that it's a good idea for a couple to live together before getting married, statistically, it doesn't bear out. Statistically, 
as they've interviewed, as they've followed this, as they have tracked this, they have found statistically that people who have chosen to live together instead of getting married or live together before getting married have reported lower levels of happiness and well-being in the relationship. That's not a lie. That's statistically, that's what they have found. In fact, they have also found that living together outside of marriage increases the risk of domestic violence toward women. They have also found that there is an increased risk of physical and sexual abuse of children. And those who have lived together and then gotten married after getting married, um, it says that living together before marriage increases the risk of breaking up after marrying. That they gave it a try and they said, okay, well, let's go for it. But there's a greater a greater percentage of divorce among those who have lived together before getting married than those who just made the commitment and got married first. That has borne out in the data. God said that a long time ago. There is great benefit from commitment. And that doesn't guarantee every commitment is going to be followed through on. But when we make our commitments and we follow through on our commitments, we benefit and so do the people around us. I know people who refuse to make a commitment to a church. Don't want to be a member. I'm a member of God's family. I'm of the universal church. I feel just as close to God on a golf course as I do in a church service. I said, that's only because you pray more out there. (laughs) They refuse to make a commitment to get involved in a small group. Refuse to make a commitment to ministry to serving other people. And you know what? You're the one that suffers because of that. People do this and they think they get all the benefits and all the rewards without having to do the hard work. And the truth of the matter is, there is great fulfillment and satisfaction and benefit in doing the hard work. Commitment has its rewards. And we think, well, if I just don't make a commitment, then I don't have to be held accountable. You know, then life is easy but you miss the benefits and the rewards of it. Paul wrote, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The only ones that reap the harvest are the ones who do the work. (laughs) The harvest comes from the work. And if you don't make those kinds of commitments, and if you don't follow through, God is not going to quit trying to work patience and uh, faithfulness into your life. He will find other ways to bring about faithfulness in your life because that's what he's doing. He is growing you to godly character. And if you won't take on commitments and you won't fulfill promises, he'll find other ways because he is interested in your maturity. And so sometimes he will use difficult situations. Because he's going to produce faithfulness in you one way or the other. And that doesn't mean if you get involved and make commitments and keep commitments, you'll never go through life without having any problems. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is God is intent on your character. And so the difficulties that you go through are also part of the hanging in there kind of faithfulness that God's trying to produce in your life. And that's why James wrote, even if you have a lot of trouble, you know that you learn to endure by having your faith tested. But you must learn to endure everything so that you will become completely mature. Develop faithfulness best by not only keeping your promises, but following through on your commitment. 
And a third way you can do it. Faithfulness faithfulness grows as I'm loyal in my relationships. Because ultimately, it's all about relationships. It is all about my relationship with God. It is my relationship with His people. His relationship with His world. It is all relational. And loyalty is just one more aspect of faithfulness. God's faithfulness and loyalty to us calls us to loyalty and faithfulness toward each other. 1 Corinthians 1. God is faithful. He chose you to be joined together with His Son in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Agree among yourselves. Do not be divided into little groups. Think and act as if you all had the same mind. He wrote to the Philippian church, Is there any encouragement, any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. In other words, if you found the loyalty and faithfulness of God at work in your life, then complete it by being faithful and loyal to those around you. As Christ's followers, we've been given a glimpse of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that God is doing His work in each of our lives through one another. That's the big picture. And our loyalty towards one another is what helps us all grow together. That's how it happens. Our loyalty towards one another is absolutely essential. And that requires faithfulness. And a key ingredient to developing this kind of loyalty and faithfulness is simply telling the truth. Being honest and truthful. Now again, that's a little bit different than our culture says it. Because our culture and our society says, loyalty is, you stand by me, you support me, you affirm me, no matter what I do. That's our culture's version of loyalty. You got to be there for me. You got to be there. Even if I'm making stupid decisions, even if I'm making bad choices, even if I'm involved in destructive behavior, you got to support me. You got to be loyal. If you don't support me, you're not being loyal. And that just ain't true, folks. Because sometimes loyalty requires confrontation. Sometimes loyalty says, I can't let you keep going through this and keep making these choices and keep carrying on that behavior because it's going to kill you. Loyalty is taking the risk to tell the truth even, even though someone might reject your friendship because of it. The Apostle Paul wrote to the New Testament churches and so often he had to write some hard things and correct some things that were going wrong in the churches and among the relationships with, among the people in the churches. And he would write these things and it was hard stuff. But it's because they needed to know what was right. And in one occasion when he wrote to the Galatian church and made some corrections to them and he got this really bad feedback from all of them and he wrote to them in Galatians 4 he said, have I now become your enemy by simply telling you the truth? See, sometimes loyalty is confrontative. Sometimes loyalty is telling the truth and the way that we are told to do that is in love. Ephesians 4.15 We will speak the truth in love. We will grow up into Christ in every way. He is the head. He makes the whole body grow and build itself up in love. How do you speak truth in love? Will you do it with humility? 
You do it with a deep sense of caring and personal interest in the person you're talking to. And you do it faithfully. And you don't come pounding your Bible, throwing it verses in their face, tell them, straighten up, straighten up, straighten up. You come at them and you say, you know, I love you. And I love you too much to stand on the sidelines and see you do what you're doing with your life. I love you too much to let you go down that path. I got to tell you, stop. I love you too much to let this go on. Now that is very, very different. But it's what God has called us as his followers to do in his new community, which is called the church. It is fruit that he is trying to grow in our lives. And it grows and it grows when we make promises and keep them. When we make commitments and follow through on them, even when it gets hard and we stand loyal, even when it means confrontation and always, always, always in love. Just three ways. You can pick these and start building these into your life. You will find that the Spirit of God is at work within you. And His Holy Spirit is nurturing and cultivating the very things that you're trying to bring about in your life. It's His fruit. It's His growth. And we've got a part in it. You bow your heads with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.